0: Well, back in March, we were supposed to have a kid's musical here in worship at CPC. In fact, there are several kids in this room that were supposed to be in that kid's musical. And the kids have put in so much work. They spent all this time memorizing and learning lines and rehearsing. Um, but there was also supposed to be a special guest pastor in the musical making his debut in the church musical that year, and so this, this past year. So it was the week that the lockdown happened in March, so we had to cancel the musical. And I, um, you know, I felt so bad for all the kids who had put so much work into it. Um, but, and honestly, I was, I was relieved. <laughs> I had no idea what I was, what I was doing. In fact, the, the day it got canceled, I was so, Sad that we were canceling in-person worship, but grateful I didn't have to get up and make a fool of myself. Um, but, you know, I, again, I felt bad. The kids have put in so much work. And, and when you rehearse and you practice, you, you don't rehearse and practice just for the sake of rehearsing and practicing. You actually want others to see it. You want to get on the stage. You want to take what you've been working on and let others see it and see the hard work that you've put into it. You don't just practice for the sake of practicing. You want others to see it. In this worship series, we've been talking about why we do what we do in worship. Why we gather, why we sing, why we pray, why we baptize, why we preach. We call them practices. Because what happens in here is we're practicing our faith. But again, you don't practice just to, just to practice, you practice so that others will see what you've been practicing, what, what you've been working on, so that you put it out there for others to see. James K. A. Smith, theologian and philosopher, said, The end of worship is the end of worship. It's really deep for just a few words, so let me say it again. The end of worship is the end of worship. What he's saying is that the goal when we come into gathered worship as Christians is to leave. To leave and to take what we've been practicing in here and put it into practice out there. Every week when we end worship, we have what's called a benediction. and A benediction is a little bit of a churchy word that means blessing or ascending. And every single week, As we end worship, we have ascending because we want you to see that what's meant for you in here is meant for everyone out there. What's meant for you in here is meant for everyone out there. What we're practicing together, we hope that all of creation sees and finds beautiful and compelling and that God desires for them to practice it as well, to put it in to practice. And this is so incredibly important, even the, even though I, I acknowledge that gathering for worship and being sent out into the world looks way different for so many of us today than it did eight months ago. And it's not looking like it's going to be normal any time soon, but I want to encourage you. I know many people are at home engaging in our services because for all kinds of reasons, you can't be here in person, but We think that God's doing something here. We think that God is doing something in your own spaces as you engage with the Spirit, as you engage in worship from your homes. And also, whether you're cooped up all day quarantining, or whether you're going out to work, school, in your community, wherever you find yourself, you have opportunities to live out your faith. You have opportunities to love people where God has placed you, in homes In neighborhoods, in workplaces, in schools, every day we have opportunities to live out what we believe and how we engage with others. And so this is incredibly important that we understand why we're sent. And let me also say, if we don't find that what we do in here is meaningful when we go out there, eventually it won't be meaningful in here. If it doesn't have power to transform our lives when we walk out of the doors, when we find ourselves in our everyday lives, then we'll eventually stop believing that it has power to make a difference while we're here. And that means we'll just be going through the motions. And I love you. I love those of you here. I love you at home. I don't want to go through the motions with you. I want what we do here to matter. I want it to make a difference in my life. I want it to make a difference in your life. I want it to make a difference in our church. I don't want to go through the motions. I want this to matter. And so we have to not just leave it here, but take it out into the world and see that what God promises us when we worship together actually comes to fruition in our lives, that we live it out, that we practice it together. So this morning, I want us to look at two different benedictions in Scripture so that we might learn what it is that God wants us to take with us As we leave worship and go out into our everyday lives with Jesus. So we're going to look at two passages. One is in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. So Numbers chapter 6. If you have a Bible, please turn there. We're in Numbers 6.22. If you don't, uh, jot it down. Read it when you get home or follow along. Again, we only have one screen. So follow along on the screen. uh, uh, Or on your TV or on your screen at home. So Numbers six. Verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons. So Aaron and his sons were the priests of Israel. So the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you And give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So the people of Israel will be identified by the name of God, and God will bless them. God will send them. So if you've ever experienced. When we send kids to camp in the summer at CPC, kids or students, what often happens is we gather all of the kids or all the students either in the parking lot, around buses, or in the great room, and we gather with parents and leaders, and we, you know, someone gives them instructions, and someone says a few words, and then we pray over the students. And, and obviously, we pray for safe travel and safety. We pray for the leaders, that the leaders don't lose their minds on the trip. We also pray blessings over the students. Like we hope that they have an encounter with Jesus that is enriching and life-changing while they're away at camp. And this is kind of what's happening in the book of Numbers. They're not going to camp, but, but God is sending them into the promised land. So the Israelites are on the edge of the promised land. They're journeying towards this place where God is sending them. And God gives them instructions on how to practice their faith. And then he sends them by naming what's essential for them to live out their faith in the land. And so in this first section of the Bible, we see that God is giving instructions to his people. Here's how to live. Here's what God wants for you. And then the benediction sends them to live it out. And when we gather for worship, we're practicing together. Here's what God wants for our lives. And then we send you out into the world so that you live it out. Two things in this passage I want you to see about uh, what God says are essential for them to put their faith into practice as they enter the land. And what will be essential for us to put our faith into practice as we go out into the world. So two things. The first is peace. He says May may God lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. When we send you out at the end of worship, we often say some version of go in peace. And that's on purpose. Now, when we say go in peace, we're not saying go and have a really boring life. Go have a really uneventful life. Do not get into trouble. Be as boring as possible. The Hebrew word for peace was the word shalom, and shalom meant wholeness. So when we say go in peace, we're saying go and be whole. God is telling the Israelites, be whole. Experience the full life that I have for you. Go in the midst of a fractured and broken world and be whole. So we walk into gathered worship, or we enter into gathered worship from home every single week from a fractured world. A fractured world that tells us stories about what it means to be a whole human. Stories that tell us that it's all about us, that it's all on us, that it's on our shoulders, that we are the ones who can make ourselves whole through our choices through our achievements, through our knowledge. And these stories leave us anxious and exhausted and angry and fearful and even proud. But then every week we come back to worship because the practices of worship remind us about what God says makes for a whole human. about what God says about who we are in what will make us whole, when we practice our dependence upon him rather than dependence upon ourselves, when we believe that his love is relentless, even when we make mistakes, even when we fail, we acknowledge together that we cannot do this on our own or we cannot do it by ourselves, that we need each other, and more importantly, we need Jesus. We come together to say we are not who the world says we are, We are who God says we are. What I want you to see is that when you leave gathered worship, when gathered worship ends, that you've practiced nothing less than God's vision of what it means to be a whole human. And it means that when you go from here and we say go in peace, we're saying go and be whole in the midst of a fractured world. Show a fractured world what a whole human looks like. And that means that we don't just need to be sent in peace. We also need the second word I want you to see, and that's the word bless. The word bless, it's used three times in this benediction in Numbers 6. Bless is another one of those words that we hear so frequently in church that they just it sort of becomes meaningless. It becomes like Christianese. We forget what it actually means. But the Hebrew word for bless is the word for empower. And in the ancient world, if a sovereign or a king or a deity was to bless you, it meant that they were to authorize you to go into the world and and act on their behalf. It meant you carried authority on behalf of the sovereign. And so the Israelites aren't just sent to wander into the land and figure it out, but they're sent with the full authority of the God who sends them, that they are commissioned for the mission to live out what God desires for their lives. And it wasn't optional. There was no no other plan. God didn't say, hey, I'm giving you this land. I want you to go in and I want you to have a great time. Really enjoy yourselves. Oh, and by the way, if you remember, try to do some of that stuff that I asked. Like the faith that God wants for them isn't like the line at Chipotle where they just want to make you happy and give you what you want and you leave what you don't want. It wasn't optional. God is saying, this is nothing less than what I made you for. This is nothing less than what I rescued you for. This is what you were created to do. That they were sent into the promised land, empowered to live into the fullness of the life that God had for them. And that was them in the Old Testament. What does it look like now for us on this side of the cross of Christ to live into the life that God has for us? So Hebrews chapter 13 Again, if you turn there, or if you can jot it down and read it later, Hebrews 13, verse 20. He says, Now may the God of peace, the God of shalom, the God of wholeness, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, that you may do in your life what he desires for you, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So this passage, it echoes the numbers passage in the benediction, but the difference is this passage tells us what makes us whole humans. It's not through working and trying harder. It's not through what we achieve. It's not through what we know. It's not through how often we attend worship. We are made whole only by Jesus. Only by the beloved of God who sacrificed his life on our behalf, by the blood of the covenant, by Jesus who gives his life to make us whole. And that is the good, great terrific amazing best news in the world that we are made whole and we didn't have to do anything to earn it and we can't do anything to lose it and we walk out into the world carrying that truth with us that we are made whole by the unique sacrifice of Jesus, something only he can do. And then we are sent into the world that others might be able to experience what that wholeness is like through our lives. Just like with the Old Testament Israelites, being sent is inseparable from what God is doing in our lives. To make you a whole human is to make you a commissioned, empowered, sent human, filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says the goal is to equip you. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will. You're being equipped in worship. And then authorized to walk out into the world and bring what he's done in your life into the lives of others. James K.A. Smith said, The goal of Christian worship is a renewal of the mandate in creation to be remade in God's image and then sent as his image bearers to and for the world. See, the sending, the commission, isn't an addendum on the Christian faith. It is our very identity. To be sent is nothing less than to be who God has created us to be, to fulfill our purposes in the world. And I think if we're going to take this sending seriously, it means that we need to think differently about gathered worship. It means that we need to think differently about what it means when we gather to worship. Sometimes I think that subconsciously we view coming to church maybe like we would view going to a theater. Like it's Jesus-y entertainment it makes us feel better about our faith. Or sometimes I think we unintentionally think of it as a classroom. That we come and we take in a lot of information about Jesus. But neither of those activities really equip us to live out our faith in the world. What would it look like to take this space seriously as an equipping space? As an equipping time? where we practice our faith and then we are sent out into the world. A few years ago, a friend and I had a bet over a football game. And if he lost, he had to go on a run with me. He hated running. If I lost, I had to go to his CrossFit gym with him. I had never been to a CrossFit gym. So, it's a pretty lame bet, but it's the reason why I went to a CrossFit gym for the very first time. And and get this, it was a kettlebell gym called Psycho Gym. If a friend invites you to a gym called Psycho Gym, just, you don't need that friend anymore. Just go, just go the other way. It was a terrible experience, and, uh, and I... You know, I didn't want to work out again for months after that. But here's what I came to realize and and eventually came to love about group workouts. So years later, I I found myself getting into these sort of boot camp style group workouts because it's something beautiful about a group of people coming together to exercise. Everyone's doing the same exercise. They all have a common goal of getting in better shape. They're working out side by side, pushing each other. And then they carry the benefits of that workout out into the world. So what if we thought about church, gathered worship, not like a classroom or a concert or a theater, but like a group workout, where we gather together and we practice the faith, where we're practicing the same thing side by sides, and the benefits of what we do together carry out into the world that others might see what it means to grow together in our faith, to put our faith into practice, to stretch ourselves, that we are made whole together and that that changes the way that we live in the world. In worship, we practice who God has made us to be in here so that we live out who God has made us to be out there. What's meant for you in here. Is meant for everyone out there. So I want to challenge you today that when worship ends, when this is over in just a little bit, and any time that you worship and then worship's over, I want you to ask yourself: what did I experience here today that would be good for others? What did I experience here today that would be good for others? God doesn't just want whole, equipped humans in here. He wants whole, equipped humans out there. No one rehearses lines just to skip the performance. No one studies and studies and studies just to skip the exam. No one practices plays and drills over and over and over just to skip the big game. Then why do so many Christians practice their faith week after week after week to skip living it out in the world? God has done something wonderful in our lives He has done something for us. He wants to do for everyone and he uses us. He sends us into the world that we might put it on display. And so we gather here for worship so that we might be formed into kingdom citizens that show others what the kingdom of Jesus is like. That they might be invited to be a part of it as well. That God might do something in their life that only he can do. And by participating in this mission, we actually find that we are right where God desires for us to be. That we experience his wholeness, that his wholeness is made real in our lives as we live out on mission. But that again, if we go out and we ignore it, we'll find that we were just taking These practices of wholeness for granted all along. What I hope for you, what I hope for us, what I hope for me is that we do not settle for anything less than what God desires for us. That we do not settle for anything less than being sent out into the world because that's what we're made for. That others might know that God is real and alive because he is real and alive in us. Friends, let's not settle for anything less than the God who sends us and transforms us. Let's not settle. Amen.